to the dark side. I'm your host, Brianna, and I'm Steph, and this is Dark Adaptation. Episode 63 of Dark Adaptation. And that's right, Steph is in the house. I'm back. <laughs> so exciting. We've been in town now for a few days and we have just been hanging out, spending every second together. And now you're here on the show. Yes. And I'm excited. I'm super excited. It's been a it's been a hot minute. Yeah. So I was thinking about it when I was writing my notes, and I was like, okay, so. It's probably been like almost a year. Oh yeah, the last one was Spooky Stories. And then yeah, yeah. That's, then I was like, well, she technically was on the Spooky Stories one, and when we were doing that one, because you pre-recorded it and sent the stories yeah. in, uh, Paige was actually here, and we were all recording together, minus you. So we, I put this like teddy bear over <laughs> in a chair, and I was like, great job, Steph, <laughs> pretending that it was you, <laughs> here in spirit, exactly. Good job. Yeah, so it's so fun to have you back. And this this case will be interesting. It's like, mm, not so much true crime, more like dark history, you know? Yeah. We did a lot of true crime and I'm like changing it up a bit. Dark history is the best. I'm, I'm glad you think so. It's so interesting. It is. Yeah. And you're here, you're going to give us a little bit of that, you know, cosmic twist as we say. <laughs> and it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. You ready to just fucking go? Let's get into it. Dive into this. All right, so the disaster that I'm going to tell you about today is a pretty well-known event to, like, the locals, but it has definitely been lost to time everywhere else. So I'll be telling you kind of a bit of history and then about that fateful day. So with that, let me tell you about the Victoria Day disaster. Also known as the Victoria Steamboat Disaster, which occurred on May 24th, 1881 in London, Ontario. Well, May 2-4. May 2-4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the conversation we had, we were like, we didn't know what May 2-4 was until we were like teenagers. Yeah, we just didn't celebrate that. It wasn't no. a thing where our families went and did anything really or we're no. like, oh, it's Victoria Day weekend. We got it. It was just like a long weekend off from school for us. Yeah, we were like sick, a long weekend. That must be all it is, right? Yeah. And it was never actually on May 24th. Yeah. It was always earlier. So we were like, why is it May 2-4? American listeners are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is this? <laughs> So this tragedy was one of the worst maritime disasters in Canada at the time, and it actually made headlines in the United States and even as far away as England. Yikes. That's, um, you know, it's big if it's the 1800s um, and they're plastering it on newspapers across the world. Right. Yeah. Even going as far away as England, mm-hmm. as jolly old England. Yeah. Imagine, I wonder how long it took to get there, though. Yeah, I wonder if it's 1881. It's not instantaneous like it is today. Yeah, now you just go on, I was going to say Twitter, but I guess now it's threads, huh? <laughs> have, have you seen that? Yes, Dyson actually informed us. I was like, threads, all right, sick. I went on there, you know? 
we're on we're on threads now i'm not really sure if i'll keep using it because i never use twitter you know so i'm like i'll i'll give threads a a chance but if this was 1881 people would be like i have no idea we're talking about threads like thread count (laughs) actually in the late 19th century london ontario had a population of roughly 19,000 people but it has quickly expanded. Like today, there's over 500,000 people in London. I can't believe that. You know, it's weird because we did grow up here, but I never really went to London. No. It's like, how many people are in London anyway? You're like 500,000. Okay. You're like, it's not much bigger than Brantford, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's bigger. It's way bigger. Yep. And even in 1881, I feel like 19,000 people is a lot. Yeah. So... Uh, 19,000 people in, uh, you know, the late 19th century. And it was, like, London was such a small city back then, too. Like, now it's huge. Covers way more area than it did back then. And it was the perfect place for a city to grow because the Thames River runs through it. Now, it's the late 19th century, so we're in Industrial Revolution times here. So, of course, construction was happening left and right. And in the 1870s, the major construction project was underway in the nearby village of Byron. So nowadays, Byron is just like a little neighborhood in London. But back then, Mm -hmm. in the late 19th century, it was like its whole own little village and you had to get all the way down the river to get there. So cute. Now it's just been absorbed into the city. (laughs) That's actually such a good way to put it. It has been absorbed in there. Yeah, the cities just grow and absorb all the city, little towns around them, little cities. It's like risk. (laughs) (laughs) Taken over. So during the construction project of the day, a a a hydraulic driven, Jesus, my mouth was like, wow, a hydraulic driven pump house, a small reservoir and a dam were built to better utilize and harness the power of the Thames, leading to the completion of the London Waterworks system in 1878 and the establishment of a park very uniquely named (laughs) waterworks park love it (laughs) love it but today it's actually known as springbank park in byron and whenever i'm researching stories i'm always like on google maps like trying to see visualize everything yeah and apparently springbank park is known for storybook gardens storybook gardens yeah so it's like this little like family fun place to go to and it's just that storybooks so they'll have like big humpty dumpty statues and oh okay fairy tale type stuff yeah so it's like this huge um basically like a park slash semi-amusement park it's perfect for like families to spend there exactly and i was like that is so cute it is cute but that wasn't there in the late 19th century just so people maybe locals are like oh storybook gardens fuck yeah Many great times. I didn't know that was a thing. And now you do. Dark adaptation. That's what we do. History. Dark history. So this park was the place to be in the 1800s. It was big and beautiful and the perfect place to have a family outing or a romantic picnic or something like that. So, of course, I'm trying to put myself in the late 19th century, late 1800s. And I'm like, what would you do? <laughs> what would you do and i made a list as i was like ranting about what would you even do and i was curious what you think it was like popular or how you would spend your time in the late 1800s 
and I'm reading the list I made, and it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, I guess the obvious things come to mind. Like, maybe people go fishing, mm-hmm. or I didn't they, like, that. have book clubs or something. Right. Or, That's... like, sewing clubs or something. Oh Knitting. Like, what would people do? That's so funny. It's a book club, because I like... said, start a Mark Twain book club. <laughs> <laughs> And then I said, listen to Beethoven. Exactly. Yes. Talk about the Canada have tea? Pacific Railway. I feel like people just had like tea parties or something. Oh, for sure. Tea, tea and parties. cookies. like Some crumpets. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's London, you know, Lond- London, Ontario. You just, we had to take on the tradition. And then name it Thames River instead of River Thames. Yes. So it's just I- a little backwards, but. <laughs> I already told you, but when I was researching this, it was so hard to not just find images or stories related to the river thames in london england yes. instead of thames river in london ontario and i was getting so annoyed because i'm to... trying to refine the search yeah i wanted to like try and piece together where the different stops would be that we're going to eventually talk about but every image was like river thames and i'm like no thames river it's different stop doing that so i have this list i made about family outings or romantic picnics and i put start a mark twain book club <laughs> listen to Beethoven, talk about the Canada Pacific Railway, because that was like big and up and coming. That was so true. a huge deal. Play with sticks. <laughs> Daydream about electricity. Kick rocks and play cards. <laughs> That's the list I Play cards. Kick rocks. Kick rocks. Skip rocks, maybe. And I didn't even put fishing or drink tea, but of course they did that. I just feel like that's what you'd be into because there is the river there mm-hmm. and i just what are all of the housewives gonna do not fish you know they're Probably gonna not. sew yeah and they're gonna talk they're about gonna... mark twain <laughs> what were they doing <laughs> hey were you there listener were you there can you tell us <laughs> all right so i thought that'd be a fun little segue so building a dam allowed for water levels to be raised and lowered as needed and collection ponds were built to hold and distribute any water flow from rain and storms to avoid flooding since beautiful parks and other attractions were situated along the riverbanks and the water levels could now be raised and lowered it was the perfect place for people to travel by boat boats could carry commuters visitors or just residents of the nearby towns and villages that just wanted to venture out for the day so like it was ideal some locals took advantage of the boating opportunities in the river by establishing two boating companies so the big one was the london and waterworks line and then the thames navigation company small passenger boats were soon operating on the river too just like people who were like Yo, you don't want to go down that huge steamboat? Hop in mine. I'll take you there. It was like, oh my God, it was like Uber, Uber canoes. <laughs> Back in the 1880s. And these boats were regularly making trips through the summer between downtown London and Byron. Because like I said, they weren't really connected at the time. It was downtown London is basically the city of London. And then Byron is the cute little village. Did you say how far apart they were again? Like how how long it takes to get to one end to the other? I did not. But if you were in a boat, it would be anywhere, depending on how often you stopped and how long you stopped. It could be anywhere from like half an hour to an hour is like roughly how long it would take by boat. Nice. So it's not 
so far and also these boats didn't go very fast Mm -hmm. that's why they could go back and forth Mm -hmm. multiple times a day Mm -hmm. okay but um it's really not that far i'm gonna look up exactly how far away it was because now i'm curious yeah i'm just picturing this little trip down yeah the river you know like how long does it take so if you were starting in downtown Making my way downtown, London, Ontario. Don't sue me. I just like that song. <laughs> Do you just picture Terry Crews? Oh, absolutely. Yep. And I can't help but picture him on the piano just going down that hill the way that she is in the music video. Oh, my I'm God. I just picture him doing that. I love that. <laughs> All right. So... Oh, yeah. Like today, if you wanted to get from downtown London to Byron, it's like eight kilometers, like a 12 minute drive. Oh, yeah. Okay. So nothing. here, I'll just show you quickly. And there will be like a map for anyone listening to see on Instagram. But as you can see, this is the river, Steph. That's Byron, which was once just a village, but now is a neighborhood. That's downtown. So they go along the river here. Nice to visualize it. Look up that pic on Instagram. Dark Adaptation Podcast. Actually, it will only be on threads. I'm just kidding. <laughs> threads only. <laughs> threads only. Or you're a loser. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, I guess I'm a loser then. <laughs> Alrighty. So, yes, that's how far away Byron is from downtown London. So, it would make uh, these, like, different boats had these with these companies would make the trip throughout the summer between downtown London and Byron. A boat dock was constructed beside the new pump house as well. And if you're in London, the dock isn't there anymore, but its foundation is still visible. So you can go check that out if you want. These commercial vessels were often a makeshift construction and lacked safety standards. Again, it's the late 19th century. Like I can see it, right? <laughs> they were more like, we're opportunists. People want to use this freaking river. Make a boat now. So they had like flat uh, bottoms and hull- shallow hulls and... To better accommodate the varying depths of the river because the river isn't so deep and in some parts it's shallow. So they were just trying their best to make a vessel that would suit this strange environment. Yeah. And out of all <laughs> of the steamboats that operated on the Thames at the time, the worst built was the Victoria. I can't help but think like if you're struggling to build something decent and suitable, maybe you just shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Especially because this isn't like somebody's little hobby. Like you're making, you're actually planning to make like a vessel, a steamboat that is going to take people, like I said, commuters, visitors, citizens. Yeah. Like you're going to be putting people on board. You don't want it to be a piece of shit. But I guess that just sounds about 1800s. They're like, well, let's just throw it together. (laughs) We just, you know. What people will go on it, it doesn't matter. We're here for a good time, not a long time, all right? Really? <laughs> Nine, late 19th century slogan. <laughs> so, out of all the steamboats that operate on the Thames at this time, the worst built was the Victoria. And now you have that bit of history, so let's talk about the Victoria, the steamboat, um, who's basically the subject of today's episode. London and Waterworks Line was one of the main boating companies, as I said, and one of their first ferries slash steamboats that can kind of be used interchangeably was Enterprise. 
But in the winter of November yeah. 1879, it caught on fire and sank. So it's November, right? So it wouldn't have been used regularly. So it was just docked somewhere. But What it, happened? I don't know. It just caught on fire and sank. Love on that. You know, just things, sometimes things just catch on fire. Yeah, it's just spontaneous boat combustion. <laughs> so the burned out hull slipped beneath the ice and wasn't recovered until the spring of 1880. Wow. And it gets better. You're going to tell me that they used. Yes, they did. Yes. So the hull, which had literally been burned to hell and was sitting in the river for months, was repaired and expanded, turning into the company's newest vessel. Doesn't that remind you of that one, what is it? There was that plane crash that happened and then they turned out that that airline was using old plane parts and then the, the captain and the staff was like haunting the planes that they had used the parts from the crash Ooh. on other planes like there's something bad's gonna happen that's so fucking yeah. creepy i feel like i worded that super weird but people who know what i'm talking <laughs> about will be like i know what you're saying i know what you're talking about there were ghosts that haunted the planes that had parts that were from other from plane disasters. crashes where people died and then they were just reusing parts yes. to make a franken plane yeah that yeah and then awful the staff of the planes were showing up to like warn people <laughs> ghosts so you're like art imagine you're already scared to fly and you're like oh. me on my first plane ride <laughs> yeah. alone you're like, coming here <laughs> you're so scared and all of a sudden you're like that's not a fucking ghost is it no way staring you down they're like you're going to die the right wing <laughs> you it's happened once before that's wild. I'm going to look into that more. Mm-hmm. That could be an interesting one to cover. I think it's over the Florida Everglades that it crashed. That's insane. And yeah, that's where they recovered the plane from. And then as they're like collecting pieces of it, they're realizing these serial numbers are associated with other Yeah, it was a whole planes. thing. I can't remember the exact sequence of events, but it's really cool. Like that's... not not cool, but it's interesting. Interesting. It's, I know yes. what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cancel you. I'm canceling you. You said it's cool. (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) You know how that horrible thing happened? I know what you mean. It is fascinating. So uh, that's what happened here. The Enterprise literally burned to shit, fell beneath the ice, and then they just recovered it, repaired it, expanded it, and then they turned it into the Victoria. So bad. So already had a doomed history. So the Victoria... (laughs) <laughs> was finished with a glossy white painted hull with royal blue and gingerbread trim. So they made it real cute and nice and very Victorian. But it still was, had been a burnt out piece of shit that was sitting in the bottom of the river. It's crazy. Nothing is as it appears here. Mm-mm. I know like the first thing I noticed looking at the chart of this day mm-hmm. was that there's a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Taurus. And, you know, Taurus is like such a materialistic sign and about things that are pretty and it's connected to Venus and like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the fine touches. And it's funny that when you have like a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, things are not as they appear, especially when it comes to, you know, when you think about Jupiter and you think about glamorous things and Saturn being there. Like, no, this isn't what you think it is. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this is not as pleasant as, you know, as you think it is. There's another force at work here. Yeah, we might have taken this, put some 
glossy paint on it and some gingerbread trim. But let me tell you, this thing yeah. was a burnt out hull. Yeah, at one point. and Jupiter being boats. I was oh, like, I, I remember as soon that. as I opened it, I was like, oh my God, there's all this tourist activity, which is so funny because it's like there was, seems to be a cover up there. It's funny that you're telling me that like there's these parts there and I'm like, oh, there's all that tourist stuff and Jupiter and Saturn and hmm, they kind of were just painting over something and hiding what was like really beneath. And also Neptune is in that conjunction too, I'm seeing. So Neptune's lingering right nearby in Taurus, which if you know, it's like the things that we don't see right away mm -hmm. or that might be lingering beneath the surface. So weird that that's there on this day. Like Absolutely. one of the first things I noticed. Literally the fact that this is like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind yeah. of. And they're all outer planets. It's like something bigger here. So People aren't seeing right away or don't know right away, but it's there and they're going to find out. Yeah, because I can't imagine that most people boarding the Victoria really realized that it was just a refurbished ship. I don't think that they would have been like, let's tell everyone. I, would they even have thought about it if they knew I, or did they just trust them anyway? You know, like, oh, well, maybe it must be fine. Maybe some people knew and some people yeah. didn't. This ignorance. Yeah. Whether it was just willful or not. Mm -hmm. But it, it would be something insane to think about. Why would you think that? Oh, that thing's set on fire. No way they'll use it again. So. So wrong. Incredibly. <laughs> like I said, this must have been a late 19th century thing. It's to different standards. So the Victoria was powered by a 60 horsepower boiler, which was 14 feet long and three and a half feet wide and had 90 tubes. So... This boiler was big. That's a big boiler. And the boat was driven by a paddle wheel located at the stern within a paddle housing and equipped with a steam pump, handle pump, and inspirator to keep the boiler supplied with water. So lots of moving parts here. Okay. I know next to nothing about steamboats or ferries and how they operate so i'm trying to picture it like okay i think i and i mean at the end of the day we're gonna be on this boat for a little while here yeah. so we gotta know what boat we're on so it's a steamboat which means it has to have a huge boiler and it has 90 tubes because it has to be siphoning water mm -hmm. from the river to basically sustain this boiler and it did have an engine and that was for furnished by some guy i wrote in here mr j white of forest city machine works which sat on King Street in London at the time. Okay. And... I see you. Yeah. The shaft was 17 feet in length and held the two paddle wheels, which were each 10 by 4 feet. The wheels that, like, spin at the back to help move it and stuff, 10 feet by 4 feet. So they were big, too. Wow. And the Victoria had two decks and a hurricane roof, which I looked at, and it's just, like, an awning, like, for shade, I guess. Why is it called a hurricane roof? I don't know. That's why I looked it up because I was like, I don't think we're really going to worry about hurricanes in London, Ontario. Yeah, do you think that that thing is going to protect you? What is the roof going to do? <laughs> so, and when I looked it up, it was like, eh, most people just call it an awning. Okay. So, you know, people could get some shade up there. It's and one of those things. measured from bow to stern, the Victoria is 80 feet long. So it's a long steamboat. And there was a beam of 23 feet and a hull three feet and 10 inches deep, so pretty good-sized steamboat. Now, the steering... Sounds huge. Yeah, yeah. 
long. It's mostly like long. Yeah. It's not so much like beefy, like thick or anything, but it is. That doesn't sound too good. It's an 80 foot. So there's just, you know, a lot going on here. And two decks, so it's tall as well. Mm-hmm. The steering mechanics were regarded as having been an improvement from the old system, which I would hope so, since literally that shit burned. <laughs> yeah, imagine they're like, we are not as confident in this, but it, it is good. It's at least sort of complete, so all aboard. You're like, I don't know. So the seating accommodation was for 220 seats that like encircled both of the decks because there was like the main deck and then the upper deck with the hurricane roof slash awning thing so there were seats for 220 people but there was standing room for an additional 300 at full capacity okay so that's a lot of people yeah you can have 520 people if you absolutely have to but you know you probably shouldn't put 520 people on this boat i mean you made 220 seats so you'd think that's how many people should be on it but like you could cram 30 people on there to stand if you really wanted to (laughs) how about no the height between the two decks was about seven feet and the victoria even had her own band who were often aboard but in cases they that they weren't there was a piano that was installed so then people could just get up there and play on the piano if they wanted to that's sick <laughs> the victoria cost a total of roughly 5000 canadian dollars to build but it was 1881 so do you have mm. a guess of how much that was today and also our canadian inflation ca- calculator doesn't go back to 1881 so this is in us dollars that's frustrating yeah, nineteen like sixteen or fifteen or something is the furthest it went back. That's silly. Um, I'm gonna say it's. Oh my god, I don't know. It's so hard, right? Because I always is guess... it obscene? Like, is it like? Is it, I mean, how much did they really spend on this boat? Because it doesn't sound like <laughs> it was were... refurbished. Yeah, it's like, but <laughs> I don't know. Is it like? Like 150k? What the fuck? Yeah, it was 149,000 wow. dollars. All right. Wow, that was a great. Are you looking at my notes? I just, I really thought about that one. Oh shit! Yeah, 149. I'm like, there's no way that everything was bought new. <laughs> no, I mean, I literally not... dug this thing out of the river and used it again. So yeah, 149,000 dollars is how much it cost them to get the Victoria. Which, if you think about that as today, is probably not that much no. for a like. I don't know. Again, I know nothing. <laughs> like that can't. Yeah, that can't be a super well-made Mm-mm. boat. It doesn't seem like it. Watch boat experts are like, wow, you don't know anything. Wow, they're so cheaply this? made. <laughs> You'd be we just, scared. We just use plywood nowadays. The government of Ontario made a proper and thorough inspection of the ship in 1880 and declared her safe for voyage. So. I'm sure it was very thorough. The government of Ontario is always right and never, ever messes anything up ever. Very, very good at everything. So on May 24th, 1881, Londoners were eager to celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday. Guess old Queen Victoria was going to turn in 1881. 
You're like, yo, I don't know anything about the queens. <laughs> 65. 62. 62. She was turning 62 years old. And, you know, Londoners, they were like, fuck yeah, let's celebrate her. So the event offered Londoners a rare holiday from their six-day work weeks. Wow. No way. Six-day work weeks. Imagine. So they get to celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday. It's an event. And they're like, hell yeah, we want to celebrate. And where else is a better place to celebrate this holiday than Springbank Park? And you know, what else makes it so much better? Um, um, You think you're going to have all this fun? And since we are on a dark history episode. Well, yeah. I mean... Dark adaptation. I can only imagine things didn't turn out as they expected. And the fact that Venus stationed direct on this day, Mm. it just finished up its retrograde station and its home sign of Taurus. So I'm like, it just stationed direct that day. I had to look it up. I had to look it up. Yeah. And I am like, wow, all these people were so ready to let loose. Mm -hmm. And Venus was at a standstill. Things were not going to be as fun as like things were not going to take off or go smoothly, although you wish that they would. Right. (laughs) I just think it's so interesting that I saw Venus was standing still like that. It means like something didn't go as planned in this case, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, we're literally talking about the Victoria Steamboat disaster. Yes. So, and Mm, all of this Taurus energy and oh venus and taurus station direct that day what's gonna come out mm-hmm. what is gonna come out with all of this weird taurus energy happening it's also interesting because you were like all i want to know is the date in question so i can look at the chart for the day and first you pulled it up and you were like oh it's it's all like centered it's so, in one yeah, side it's so unbalanced it's congested it's, it's all aries like a little bit of aries mainly taurus Gemini Sun, Mercury, and then you just got Uranus over there in Virgo. But everything is centered on that one side. And I was just like, oh my God. That's the first thing you <laughs> All saw. Right there. And then you went, oh, okay, putting that aside. How come nothing is in retrograde? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I immediately I'm like, I gotta look at the ephemeris because something was at a standstill at that point. One of those planets had to have just stationed in in whichever motion. Mm-hmm. And it was that day with Venus. And you're digging into it and you're like, oh I my know God. it. I found it. It's just Here's our stubborn culprit. So yeah, they're they're fucking ready, man. They had to work sixty six days a week. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna go and celebrate the Queen's birthday at Springbank Park slash Waterworks Park, you know. And that's the community's most popular picnic ground at it of its time, man. They're like, we're going there. Yeah, they're gonna go in and enjoy themselves, have a beautiful day, eat some food, mm-hmm. relax. It's so beautiful, you know, all tourists, lovely, lovely have a, aesthetic, mm, pleasurable. Enjoy, yes. So at 9 a.m., the Victoria departed from London on her first voyage of the busy day ahead, heading south down the river. The crowd aboard was joyful and laughing, and it ranged from people of all ages, children to senior citizens, anyone you can think of on this steamboat, multiple steamboats, but we're talking about the Victoria. Children ran about the decks. They were shouting at farmers who were working along the shore, and they were scaring the shit out of the cows that were just trying to drink some water. You know, those typical little rabble-rousers from the 19th century. As the Victoria passed under the Great Western Railway Bridge, a mile from the city, 
The passengers waved at travelers aboard a Windsor-bound train. You know, they're just painting a picture. They're just having a gay old time. They're out here. They're happy to be on a steamboat. Another mile downstream, the Victoria docked at the Woodland Cemetery, which is one of the typical stops, where several passengers disembarked to visit relatives' graves, because that's definitely a runner-up activity after picnicking. <laughs> Let me go have a sandwich <laughs> with my grandma. It's very sweet. Pour one out and it's just some tea. Oh, yeah. Another mile downstream, the Victoria stopped at the next stop, which was a place called Ward's Hotel, where young people loved Ward's Hotel. They would go there and they would enjoy cockfighting and they would get just lit on some good old Ward's Hotel beer. And these people loved it. Sounds amazing. <laughs> but it is like only the morning hours. So most of the people that disembarked were just tavern employees. Because like I said, the Victoria was very much used by commuters. But still, I thought, you know, Ward's Hotel, perfect for cockfighting and drinking. Cock 1880 activities, you know. <laughs> I, oh, I didn't include that in my list. What do people do? Cockfighting in the of park. Of course. How could we forget? The Victoria then continued to the route's final destination, which is Springbank Park in Byron, where Captain Donald Rankin eased her up to the jetty. And I had to look up a jetty. Because I was like, what's that? Please rock, tell me. A rocky shore? Nope. A jetty is like when there's that really long ass walkway that's like extending from land all the way out into the water. Because the, the riverbank was probably really shallow and mm -hmm. the boat probably couldn't get it right to the land. So there's just basically like a long ass walkway. Makes sense. So that's what the jetty is. And you know, Captain Rankin, she eased her up real nice in there. And then when the passengers went ashore, another load of passengers boarded the Victoria because these people in Byron want to go to downtown London. So they go in the opposite direction to, towards downtown London. And that's basically the route. So the Victoria makes this round twice with ease. And it was smooth sailing. Huh? Mm -hmm. At 3.30 p.m., upon docking in London to stand by for her scheduled departure at 5 p.m., Captain Rankin noticed Forest City, which was another riverboat, had gotten stuck on a sandbar in the middle of the river. A steamboat named the Princess Louise was attempting to pull Forest City off of the sandbar using cables, which was proving very difficult. Forest City, this steamboat was just wedged on there. That sounds awful. Mm-hmm. So Captain Rankin calls over to the Forest City asking how long they'd been stuck. And Forest City said that they'd been caught for about half an hour. So it was around three that this basically ship was unwillingly just docked on the sandbar. Oh my god, that sounds so horrible. So the Princess Louise stayed with Forest City to assist to keep trying to pull it off of the sandbar, meaning the responsibility of transporting passengers between London and Byron fell solely on the Victoria. Instead of waiting at the London dock for the scheduled 5 p.m. departure, Captain Rankin opted to immediately make the trek to Byron to pick up more passengers. But as he went past Forest City and Princess Louise again, he was trying to convince Princess Louise to abandon the efforts of trying to get Forest City on, like, dislodged and instead to help him ferry passengers back. But 
Princess Louise was like, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to stay here and try and help for a city. So Captain Rankin's like, well, shit, because I'm going to have to transport all of these people. And why he did make that decision to leave, I'm not totally sure. Because he had a 5 p.m. departure from downtown London. So Mm. I don't know if he didn't want to wait there because he was worried too many people in London would keep boarding her as she was docked. Or if he thought he could get to Byron in time to beat out the crowd and just pick up a couple people. I really don't know what he was thinking. I don't understand. I don't know that part, why he decided to leave. Yeah. So. I don't know if you have any insight there. I just can't help but notice, like, when you look at all of this tourist activity that's going on, you got Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune and Venus all within the same 10 degrees. And that creates, like, it's such a crowded house. Mm-hmm. And it's, this activity is happening in the seventh house, which is a very, very open and vulnerable house. Um, it's, you know, it's it's called the house of setting. So it's just, I know in ancient astrology, they really, um, I've read in, like, my Hellenistic astrology oh, book. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, That's huge. Mm-hmm. And the setting um, was very much associated with, like, the end of things. And how things, like the demise yeah. of of whatever it is, like a whether it's like an object or whatever we're talking about here. Um, in this case, we're talking about the Victoria. Mm-hmm. And it's just when you see all the activity right there around the setting and it's a crowded house. And I'm thinking about the captain and how he was trying to make this decision that he was probably trying to make the best decision, the most rational one in the moment that he was like, yeah, and how you know, can you really predict yeah. what's going to happen and how crowds and will form and all of that? All of that, you know, just all of that energy there. It's just so, um, you can see how things were not clear, especially with Neptune there. He, people could not have predicted what was going to happen. And there was probably a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Everyone on that boat with that Venus and Taurus that was stationed direct means people were ready to let loose and they weren't going to listen to the authority, Saturn, which is conjunct Jupiter. Jupiter is the boat in this situation. Oh, Jupiter fuck. rules over boats. Saturn is the authority presence, the captain of the ship. Mm. Um, also, Saturn rules over men and women that work on water, like people who work on water. Um, so that's him in this situation. He's in charge of this boat um you got venus here which is are all these people there ready to have fun you got the sun over there in gemini there is two sides going on such a complex situation here then you have mercury also in gemini in rulership so you've got like venus in rulership that wants to do its own thing and then you have be pleasurable and all mm -hmm. that and then you also have mercury in rulership that is wanting to do something and you can see that there's a power struggle happening there and i'm thinking as you're going through this i was looking at it like there is some kind of power struggle that's happening in what we're looking at Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking about the captain trying to be logical and make decisions and trying to see all sides of things and make the right choice and then i'm seeing that venus at a standstill being stubborn in taurus Mm -hmm. and how there's some kind of friction and you would be onto something. There is certainly a friction, a power struggle, if you will. And to add on to what you said about how you can see 
this situation with the captain who wants to make a decision but can't really see clearly if it's yeah. the right decision. And you can see that because he's decided that he's going to depart from London sooner for whatever reason, but deep down knows that he should tell Princess Louise to come with him because he's going to need help ferrying people. So you can see that he's like, for some reason, made this cloudy decision, but also knows in the back of his head he's going to need assistance. Yeah. And he's making this decision based on, like, he's operating in the seventh house of others. There is such a lack of, like, a lack of ability to really focus on on maybe what mattered or something. It was maybe, really hard. Like, it was not easy I just feel like there was a little bit of, like, the fact that there was that boat there, that problem going on, you have that issue and you're taking on all those people and your house is so crowded. The house of others is so crowded. It's super like, crowded. And he, it's, it's overcrowded. Yes. And oh, overcrowded. Like, literally, we have um, Captain Rankin and his crew making like some attempts to tell those waiting for the ferries at the docks that his vessel, the Victoria, it's overcrowded. But little concern was taken by those boarding the vessel. And the Victoria became overcrowded immediately. Wow. He's trying to say, uh, yo, like, oh, yo, in 1881, ahoy, um, no. Uh, negative on the boarding. And they're like, no, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to get on here. And the locals weren't worried. They even, even after they had noticed that the vessel was sitting really low in the river, like way lower than it usually sat. And instead, most people were like just kind of nonchalant with it. They were like laughing it off. They were saying that the river was too shallow for any real danger to occur anyway. And they were like joking about the one time the Victoria had been grounded, attempting to pass over a tin can. So like... They were just like, this is ridiculous. Don't even worry about it. Like, your worries are silly and, and it will be fine. Even if something happened, we're in this river and we can just, like, get out. Nothing's bad. I'm seeing the stubbornness. Right! Of, yeah. They're so stubborn. Mm-hmm. Yep. John Drennan, who was a reporter for the London Advertiser, he was standing aboard Victoria's lower deck when he stated his concern over the rocking of the vessel as she sailed and there was a father who was aboard as well and he had his two daughters with him and he overheard john say say this about the rocking being unsettling and the father was like listen even if this ship capsizes we can all just swim ashore like it's not so a big deal. unconcerned are you serious yeah i'm looking at how <laughs> we don't only have venus in rulership and Mercury in rulership, we have Mars in rulership and Aries. And I'm just like, <laughs> these people are flat out being like violent at this point. Like, without, fu- they're just like, no, stop I'm showing like, how weak you are. Fucking get it together, <laughs> reporter. They are all like so rooted, all these in what they want. Mm-hmm. And there's not compromise. Like, their or, minds will not be changed. Yeah. Like, how can you say, oh, the we can just swim ashore? No yeah. big deal, like just completely that Neptune influence clouding everyone's judgment and thinking. It's so... Everyone is like, you You need to stop worrying. Remember that time that she oh, literally got grounded because of a tin can? Like, you're being silly. This whole ship fine. is silly. On the last voyage of the evening, the Victoria loaded her passengers at the Byron Dock. 
many were eager to get home to London and opted to take the 15 cent boat ride up the river. They're like, I don't want to have to take a horse and buggy or the whole old heel toe express to London. I'll just pay 15 cents to get on this boat, which is like four bucks. I was just going to say, what is that? Four bucks, uh, roughly. Maybe closer to five. Kendith, no, Kenneth McTaggart was the author of a 1978 book called The Victoria Day Disaster. And he wrote, quote, the people were in a hurry to get home. The the domestics wanted to get home and get the meals cooking. Kids were cranky. As as sometimes happens, people get foolish in large crowds Mm -hmm. and they don't think. And people crowded on the ship very viciously. And it was overloaded in a manner of minutes. I'm thinking, oh my God. And everyone's in it for themselves. They're like vicious at this point. Yes. That Mars and Aries is just, that's such a direct energy. It's so pure. So when like, you know, Mars and energy or Mars and Aries influence wants to get something done, Mm -hmm. you can do it, whether it's positive or it's negative. And in this case, people are being selfish. I'm thinking about what I want. I want to go home and cook dinner. And my kids are cranky. Yeah, they need to get home. I don't have the patience for this. I need what I want now. Yeah. And I'd rather pay 15 cents and get my way. Yep. It's not crazy. You were literally saying the power struggle and yeah. the imbalances going on and the fact like just every all the energy is so focused on this one side with <laughs> an Aries, Taurus, and Gemini like rulership planet. Well, actually, we should post a screenshot of the chart. That so is such a good idea. You should send it to me. Yes. It was maybe like a mini baby breakdown and then I could mm-hmm. post it as well. Yes. Anyway, sorry to Check interrupt. that out, folks. Dark Adaptation Podcast on Instagram. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. No. But yeah, that power struggle, the, the selfish decisions. Yeah. And just people being like, I'm more important in this moment and I want to get on this fucking vessel. Let's and, go. Yeah. The fact that we're in um, a Gemini time, like Gemini Mercury, Gemini season, there are more things to consider here. Like, it's not just about you want to get home and do what you want. Like, people should have taken the time to just be a little patient. Maybe wait for the next yeah, one or something. That would have been wondrous. Like, yeah. you can do that. It's the Victoria's last uh, time in Byron for the day, but there's still two other vessels that are going to come by. Like, Mm -hmm. you can just wait. I think there was probably a panic about the one being stuck, maybe, too. Like, Mm -hmm. people were like, oh, no, I just, I need to get on this. I don't want anything to happen. Like, let's just go. That's such a good point. I didn't even think that. And then you're like, but you're creating a situation. You're not even seeing, like, the duality here. Like, you're just so focused on one outcome. Yeah. And you're totally missing the other side. It's such a good point. God, what's going to happen? Yeah, I did not even think about that, though. That's a really good point about how they were probably like, well, that other one got stuck. I don't trust that one. I'm getting on the Victoria. Yeah. So the docks were packed full of people at this time because the Victoria was the only boat that had arrived. Princess Louise and Forest City are still doing their thing down there. God knows how many people are sitting on this dock and only the Victoria shows up. And it was a holiday. So there was so many more people than usual. That's so true. Yeah. Upon leaving the dock, Victoria was already taking in small amounts of water in her hull, which washed over the lower deck. So some people are kind of standing in a bit of water. Passengers had begun to disembark even during the voyage after noticing how much the vessel was rocking back and forth and how they're standing in water. That is so bad. So they actually just dove into the river and swam ashore. Because they were maybe getting that gut instinct, like, we shouldn't be rocking and we shouldn't be standing in water. And the decision to just abort 
actually saved their life. Yeah. That's so some but that awesome was quick thinking. Only a few people. Like, for the most part, people were just like, nah, I paid my money to be on this ship and I'm taking it. Imagine that's like your relative. You're like, yeah, my grandpa jumped off of mm-hmm. that bow and then. Oh, grandpa did not like the rocking and standing in the water. So he ditched on the Victoria and saved his life. He said, I don't trust this. I see through this bullshit. Y'all being crazy. For real. He's like, I'm not going with this crowd mentality. I'm sticking to my guns and I'm <laughs> away I go. The Princess Louise, which had finally turned back down the river to pick up more passengers in Byron, passed the Victoria in the river. And the Victoria's passengers rushed to the side of the decks so that they could wave at the people that were on Princess Louise. And this caused the Victoria to lurch on its side, nearly capsizing. Because at this point, there was like 600 people maybe on the Victoria. It's hard to say because like records weren't really kept that well in 1881. Um, And it's kind of this just ferrying system right so they're not marking every single person that's getting on but like i said earlier 520 people max and that's only uh if you must but there was well over 600 people on the victoria so all these people are rushing to one side to wave at people on the princess louise and the ship just lurched on its side it didn't capsize but it was scary I was thinking about how you said the boat was so, like, long and tall, but it was not very... It wasn't very wide. wide. And I'm just picturing... Not in comparison. Like, it would probably teeter easily. Like, maybe more easily than a wide boat. Absolutely. And then you get 600 people running to one side of it. Yeah. It's frightening. So Captain Rankin quickly realized, like, oh my fucking God, like he's not going to be able to successfully sail the Victoria to London if all of these people are on board. He has to let people off and not let people on. Oh my god. So the next stop after you leave Byron is and you're going towards London is Ward's Hotel. So he made the decision when he oh, got no, there. But that's not that's <laughs> not where you want to pull up right now, I don't think. <laughs> so he pulls up to Ward's Hotel and he lets people off. But he does refuse people aboard. He's like, no, you, we're full. Like, we're beyond full. You're not allowed on. There's Princess Louise just passed. Wait for her. Like, I'm not letting you on. And he stood his ground on that. But not very many people get off at Ward's Hotel when you're at the end of the day. Yeah. People want to leave Ward's Hotel and go home. So not too many people got off. So as the Victoria passed Griffith's Dam, passengers noted that the water was now ankle deep on the lower deck. They weren't just kind of standing in some water. Like That's so scary. It's ankle deep. And not like I said, not enough people had disembarked at Ward's Hotel. So there was this passenger, a man named um, James Driannon, and he recalled, quote, About half past five, we were coming very slowly by Griffith's Dam. As I looked down the staircase, I noticed the water ankle deep down below. The crowd seemed excited and kept rushing from one side to the other. Captain Rankin told them repeatedly to stand still and not crowd so much. Just picturing all these chaotic people that are so stubborn, not listening, Mm -hmm. and 
the captain energy here that like he's just jupiter saturn con- conjunction in the middle of like the aries mars gemini mercury on both sides and then venus in taurus right there with him like just suffocated mm-hmm. just suffocated by the energy no balance no one's listening <laughs> No one's listening at all. And even when they do listen, they laugh it off. Remember the time your boat grounded over at Tin Can, buddy? Get out of here. Wasn't that bad. We'll be fine. And he Rankin, the captain Rankin, he's like kind of freaking out. Yeah, he's I like, bet. I have this boat full of God knows how many people. We know now that it's over 600 people. And he's like, okay, what am I going to do? I guess... I'm going to stop at my next stop, which is the Woodland Cemetery. And again, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let more people off. They can get off here if they need to, but I'm not going to take any more people on. And he's just hoping. Oh, God, I hope this went as planned. He's just hoping that enough people disembark and he can continue up the river. He's only he's like halfway by this point and he's just praying enough people got off. So the passengers were rowdy as usual, like that one passenger witness had said, running around. It's it's causing this steady rocking of the vessel because people are just fucking pumped. They're running to one side to the other and it's full of kids who are crazy and probably ate candy all day or water taffy or something weird. I don't know what kids ate in 1881, <laughs> black licorice. And it was clearly still way too packed. Not enough people got off at the cemetery. So Rankin noticed a sandbar up ahead in the river close to what is today Greenway Park, if you're in London. And he's like, probably has this little like flash of, oh shit, Forest City. They just got stuck on a sandbar, so it must be kind of low. I see a sandbar. I want to sail my vessel onto this to stop the voyage because I don't trust this rocking. I cannot see a good outcome here. I'm going to sail up onto that sandbar and we'll be stopped and we'll be okay the rocking will stop okay let's see where this goes so he had barely made a move towards this decision when harry nichols and michael reedy who were two members of the london rowing club just downstream decided to race each other down the river okay so they're in their little canoes and the passengers were fucking pumped no they were excited two guys racing in a kayak or some shit that's exciting so the passengers on both decks of the victoria rush to the railing of the starboard side which is the right which caused a major imbalance leading the vessel to lurch onto her starboard side close to capsizing once again but the passengers then ran to the left side port side attempting to correct the vessel because they realized that what they had just lurched it so far but it was too late the sudden and extreme rocking caused the steam boiler to tear loose from its mountings on the lower deck it immediately toppled over and killed passengers with scalding hot water as it fell on its way down the boiler blew out major support beams and the railings on the port side sending the entire upper deck of the victoria collapsing onto the lower deck killing more passengers who were crushed to death simultaneously without the railing to save people from going overboard overboard many passengers fell into the riverbed and were killed as the victoria keeled over onto her port side so they were crushed under it 
So now Victoria is free of its weight of passengers. So the upper deck completely has broken off and she rightens herself and then sinks, leaving the upper deck, which is detached, floating on the river, trapping passengers underneath it. Oh, that's horrible. Promptly drowning them. And everything happened so fast. And the Victoria was quickly reduced to the sunken hull in a mess of broken planks and wood. It happened like that. I can't believe it just, like, fell apart. It The did. boiler was just like, and bye. Th- that's why I told you it's this boiler yes. is so big. It's 14 yeah. feet. It's got 90 tubes. And because... Those passengers saw those people rowing yeah. and wanted to cheer them on. It lurched over. They tried to correct it, but it was too aggressive. And it had been just rocking steadily the whole time. So that boiler ripped loose. Jeez. Horrible. It is so, like, so violent. And the fact that it just, boop. So quick. That happened so quickly. Yeah. Some bars and Aries. Shit there. I woke up and chose violence today. (laughs) So some passengers had died by scalding hot water. Others were crushed by the deck collapsing or when the Victoria keeled over and and crushed people that had fallen out. But most of the passengers appeared to have drowned and for various reasons, too. So some were trapped under the detached upper deck, but... Those who seemed to escape the wreckage still succumbed to drowning. Most people aboard were regular citizens and they couldn't swim. So on top of that, most of the female passengers were wearing Victorian dresses. Yeah, of course. And once they were in the water, those dresses were immediately waterlogged because they're so big. And they're frantically trying to swim. And I pretty sure at the part where the victoria kind of capsized and sank is like 12 feet so it's like actually the deepest part of course they're waterlogged in their huge ass dresses think about how big those dresses are it's horrible so they drowned because they it's so heavy and then you had people accidentally drowning each other survivor william soper said quote I was standing on the north side of the upper deck when the crash came. I was hurled into the water with 500 others. I sank to the bottom but managed to climb up on the people, but in turn was climbed up on by others. I then exerted myself for a final struggle and got on top again and reached the shore. The screams which arose from the drowning mass was terrific. Terrific was used differently in 1881. Huge. Yeah, it was, it was terribly yeah. loud. Oh my goodness. So various ways that people had drowned. It was either because you were trapped under that deck that had detached in the original capsizing, Mm -hmm. or you were waterlogged in a dress, or you had that panic effect of people who can't swim trying to use other people. It was every man for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so crazy that it was like, (laughs) just... I mean, it was kind of leading up to it. You did have the constant rocking and the already having water on board and stuff, but just those people deciding to get super pumped over two guys racing each other in the water. 
it's a bad decision causing all of that chaos. And like you said, this thing just fell apart. It was refurbished. I mean, <laughs> I spent $5,000 on it. <laughs> I can't believe these people, though, like the stubbornness. Everyone was thinking of themselves. It was there was no balance. Like when you look at this chart, there wasn't like one planet that was in rulership that was kind of in the captain's favor or in the favor of like favor of everyone. You had this overcrowded seventh house, which isn't just the house of others, but the house of enemies. Like they were their own worst enemy Mm -hmm, and they were just acting so foolish, thinking in the moment, just it's so chaotic and I'm just thinking about like Venus and Taurus there that wants to have a good time and just came out of this retrograde and mm-hmm. is so excited to move forward and just enjoy yourself. And that's not happening. It's just one day. You're going to be at a stand. That you're here. And it's so weird that that boat being stuck there was kind of the start of all of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like. It was. So. The fact that bizarre. Forest City got stuck on that sandbar, catapulted all of this into effect because then princess louise is one of the only other steamboats there yeah wants to help refuses to not leave a band of chip <laughs> another pun <laughs> but cap that means captain rankin and the victoria are stuck with all of the- and think this is like the busiest day of the year because this isn't an all-year event that these steamboats are going along it's just the summer and it's Queen Victoria's birthday. And they finally have a day off. I can just imagine how excited everyone was to let loose. Mm-hmm. And just also I feel like when you just hear about older times, like people are so much more ruthless in a lot of ways. I know. And I can just imagine them like clawing at each other and like killing each other mm-hmm. out there after they were in the water. And it's so terrifying. And even just before that, how ignorant they all were being. Just like, nah, nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. It's fine. Like, today, we're so aware in this world about all the bad shit that happens that people would be saying that and they they would all be fighting each other. Like, there would be like a war that broke out about the assholes versus the people that are like, stop doing that. Yeah, and the captain right. would not be totally alone. He would have people on his side helping him, I think. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have been like... You would hope it wouldn't have escalated so terribly. It was, yeah, it was so much like follow the leader happening yeah. here. And who the leader was, I'm not sure. It but was, it was, it was yeah. Like, you had all these like energies like, no, we're all going to dig in our heels. We want to do what we want. We want to keep running around. We want this like self-importance. Like yes. I paid 15 cents for this fucking boat ride and I'm going to get home to feed home. my cranky ass kid. <laughs> Should have just like sat That's on the dock stubborn. all night. <laughs> You're so right, though, about the stubbornness. Everyone was so stubborn. There's that. Oh, so many and people. And dismissive. Like how that one reporter, um, John someone, is like, John Drennan, I believe. It's like, oh, that's a lot of water down there. And just trying to, like, express his concerns. And that guy and his children are like, <laughs> so who cares? Even if it does capsize, we'll just swim away. It's like, no, I don't even want to think about it capsizing. That's not even a good way to look at it. No. If it capsizes... That sucks ass. It shouldn't even have to do that. We'll just swim. Look what happened here. There was two young men that were uh, swimming nude in the river. I'm sorry, but every single article was like skinny dippers, two men swimming nude. So I had to put it in because they did. So they saw 
this whole catastrophe and they immediately swam over to try and rescue drowning passengers but it's super sad because they got so exhausted trying to help save people and drag people to shore and go back out that they ended up drowning themselves trying to save people wow in the nude sorry <laughs> so they're, they're trying to be heroes yeah they were just trying to enjoy themselves yeah they're just ha two guys just having a great time skinny dipping we don't have to know what they were doing they were just skinny dipping and everyone does that then they see this and they're like we're gonna go and help and then they pass in that's the sad. chaos rest in peace skinny dippers yeah rest in peace and anyone a part of this disaster yes Passengers had to watch helplessly as their family members and their friends were pulled under the water by other drowning victims because um, some people did make it to shore and they're like frantically looking around to see where their wife is or their child is. And then you can see just this mess of people who are just pushing other people underwater to use them to stay afloat. And you're just watching from the shore like, holy fuck, like, oh my God. It's a catastrophe. Some people, like this man named Thomas Stevens, learned his entire family had drowned. And he was the only one that made it out. And he actually had to be restrained from throwing himself into the river because he's like, why would I live then? Because literally my whole family just died. So it's pandemonium. Other passengers who had survived the disaster were trying to pull people from the wreckage while some swam ashore to go and alert nearby locals that they needed help. Because, I mean, they can't just be like, Someone call 911. Like, that's not even a fucking thing. Did people see this happen? Were there, like, mm -hmm. witnesses on the shore? Like, besides yes. the skinny dippers that were lingering? Yes, there were. So anyone that was close to the shore had already noticed mm -hmm. that something was wrong because they could hear the screams and the cries of passengers. So they had come running. And... Mm -hmm. Many of the locals that had immediately assisted in the in the rescue efforts were people that had witnessed what happened, like farmers, mm -hmm. because they were yeah, on the shore. They farmers were some of the first first people that realized what happened and came to start helping save people because they had been working along the shore all day. I can't help but wonder what it sounded like when it, like it all happened so quickly with the boiler detached and it was like going back and forth, like. I can just. I wonder like if it was splintering wood. Yeah, and I, just and screaming. People could probably never describe it. No, what that was like, like the sound of that boat just falling apart and everyone falling off, and like six hundred people just screaming. Yes, and the water, like just all the getting sounds. burned by the scalding hot water. It's so horrible, and, and the just wood splintering. You're that farmer going about your business. And oh my god, it's probably a peaceful day. Yeah, and then the one second you're focused on you know the vegetables or the dirt <laughs> and then you're running towards the shore mm -hmm. to go save try and save these people it would be wild at this time this must have been so horrible in the eyes of like boating accidents and like it was like i said that. it was one of the worst canadian maritime disasters at the time ever and, like, if you're from London, Ontario, you likely know about this, mm -hmm. um, heard about it at least. But it did reach all around the world and just kind of slowly wanes out yeah. as, it's, as it becomes not the worst disaster. Or you just kind of get lost to time because 1881 is a long time ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah, it is. So that's such a good question about, like, did other people see this? 
yes, anyone that was along the shore saw it. Anybody that was, uh, maybe alerted by all of the screams ran to see what was happening. And it was farmers, basically, that were the first people. First to, responders. Yeah. Because they're working on the shore all day. And some of the farmers immediately just grabbed their horse-drawn carts, went in, and started carrying survivors and people who were wounded back to London. That's awesome. By 6.30 p.m., so about an hour after all of this fuckery happened, news of the disaster reached London. And even think, I just pulled it up on maps for you to see, like, it's a 12-minute drive, eight kilometers away, and it took an hour for and news goes to, to reach. Show. They had some messengers back then still. Someone was running. Oh, my God. Totally. Someone's like, we've got to get the message out. Send this guy to run. So you send a pigeon. One of them will get there. Someone's out there on horseback like, let's go. Galloping along. So, yeah, 6.30 p.m. news of disaster reaches London. Sending a stampede of rescue efforts to the Victoria. Oh, it's so sad because with water, there's only so much time. You're so oh, yeah. limited and it already took an hour. So it was, oh, it's so sad. It is. Five minutes after the Victoria had sunk, the Princess Louise came into sight. Wow. And her captain immediately grounded Princess Louise ashore, disembarked all the passengers, told them to find their own way home. And the prince, the Princess Louise was turned into a temporary morgue and her decks were quickly lined with recovered bodies because they had nowhere to put these people and a way to be able to transport them back. So the captain was like, anyone that's alive, get out. Wow. Have fun. Find your own way home. But we got to take these people out of the water and let's pray to God some of them are alive. Yeah. Recovery and identification processes for the dead began that evening, and the Princess Louise is, like, docked on the shore, and torches were lit along the river and fires and everything, because it's 1881. So it's, like, starlight, maybe moonlight. I don't know what the moon was like on Oh, it, it was not offering so any help. No light nope. from the moon, so it's just fire. Fires and torches. The Princess Louise returned to London at 10 p.m. with 157 bodies. Men worked through the night trying to recover bodies, and by 8 the following morning, so we're into May 25th, 18 more bodies had been recovered from the wreck. Another four were pulled to the surface throughout the day, bringing the number of dead, recovered dead, to 179 people. Wow. Insane. And some of the survivors over the day of the wreckage and throughout the night that had been taken back to London were alive at the time, but had succumbed to certain injuries, yeah. head injuries or whatever had happened. So their burns that it, somehow exactly. also occurred. So recovered dead was 179. There could have still been people downtown London that were passing away from their injuries. That's just, like, an insane amount of people to die at once. Yeah, so that's so horrible. Oh, my God. I forgot about this part. Okay, this part is wild. <laughs> As if the situation isn't crazy enough and chaotic enough, artillery pieces from the London Field Battery were fired over the wreck 
with the belief that exploding the Victoria to pieces would further dismantle the vessel and release people that were caught in the wreckage. Who was in charge <laughs> of that? Isn't that crazy? That is we some whack blow decision it to making. Smithereens that will work. Neptune was really, really like that was fucking with solid time decision making. Us, it's wild. Got like the Mercury and Gemini influence, Mars and Aries, Neptune. It's just all like. When you have a Are people screaming for attention or something? concoction in this <laughs> equation, it's like, no. This, what the purse, like what everyone wanted was so catastrophic and they just didn't realize like this decision making. And you're, you thinking like, no, I'm, I'm making the right decision. Like what I think and what I want is right. And I'm going to get where I want to go. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and I'm going to do, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it how I want. And this is what happened. Uh, yeah. It was like just, you know, sometimes you have luck on your side and you can kind of push the envelope and get away with some things. And sometimes that's not the case. In this case, Jupiter was like actually suffocated by Saturn I was, there. I was literally going to say smothered mm-hmm. and you said suffocated. Yes. So yeah. they, there was no luck on this side. It was not. No. Jupiter was totally diminished here. Oh my God. Yeah, that was... And then, as if all this isn't bad enough, you have somebody who gives the orders to just start to blow it to smithereens. Yeah. And guess what? This proved unsuccessful. Okay. No, really? And it literally made even more of a mess to sift through. And you probably blew bodies into pieces. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. It's ridiculous. So chaotic, like so ruthless. It's Aries energy. (laughs) Let's just do this. This is the quickest, best, just smash it. Just... (laughs) Honestly, that's actually what this was. Smash it to pieces. It'll be easier to go through. Are you not thinking of consequences? Like blowing at people's loved ones? No. No. Imagine the people on the shore when they (gasps) see that happen and you then are like, is this an airstrike? Like everyone's panicking. These are the worst May 2-4 fireworks ever. This is so... Worst May 2-4 weekend ever. Victoria's over there like, sorry. Sorry I turned 62, guys. I can't believe this. Yeah, when I read that, I was just like, how the fuck? Who said, great idea, Jim? I don't know what his name was. I'm just saying Jim. Great idea, Jim. We should definitely blow that thing up because that'll totally dismantle all of the dead people. That won't That won't have catastrophic effects. Not even a silver. That won't be bad. <laughs> I had to include that because I was like, you guys are crazy. So over the next week... Rowboats with grappling hooks and pike poles probed the riverbed in another attempt to recover bodies. I looked up what pike poles were. And it's like basically a tool that mostly firefighters use. It's just this long iron rod. Hmm. And it's perfect for like testing loose walls or recovering things, seeing if there's flames anywhere because it's metal so it'll get hot. Pike pole. So they were using these to stab the shit out of the riverbed to see if they poke a body and honestly reminds me of our diets love pass episode where they start probing all of the snow oh yeah and they just stab um the one lydia i believe is her name lydia they stab lydia right through the head and they bring it up and there's just flesh all over it because why would you use such an aggressive tool yeah 
Can't you have something that doesn't stab? No, they need to probe. I guess they gotta so. probe the shit out of that riverbed. It's unfortunate. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the probing actually did anything. I don't think they recovered any bodies that way. Um, the dam at the waterworks was opened to allow the water levels upstream to lower. And this was then another attempt to find bodies because like I had said in the beginning, Mm -hmm. a whole reason this whole construction project was so amazing is because you can raise and lower the water if you need to. So into a week into it, they're like, oh shit, can't we lower the water? They are not thinking. No. Everyone's so clouded by everything. They're I just, not thinking at on? all. A week in and they're like, we should, oh fuck, we can lower the water levels, can't we? Oh this shit. This was such a bad time. This was such a bad time. <laughs> Everyone was like a space cadet. <laughs> so they're like, <laughs> honestly, they're just like monkey symbols going. They're just taking chances. So they're like, Oh, yes, let's do that. Let's lower the water levels. And this idea seemed to work better than, like, blowing up the vessel and shit because they did find more bodies this way. When they lowered the water, they were able to recover at least two more bodies. So this brings a total of what was recovered from the water to 181 people. Crazy. That is... It's so unfortunate. I wonder what happened afterwards with the families and stuff nothing you know unfortunately how do you move it i would feel so stupid i would feel so stupid just for being so self-centered in that moment like you just don't think sometimes you just want what you want you want what you want you feel entitled because you paid the 15 cents yeah you're the one that has a family. You're the one that has to go Got make shit dinner. to do. You really don't think the worst is going to happen. How would you ever think this was going to happen? Even though the captain the entire I'm, time is screaming at you to stop because this could happen. And they're like, the I'm just imagining up, him like, Rankin. So shut the fuck up. He, did he survive? That's a great question. Yes, he did. Interesting. He did I, survive it. And we'll talk a little bit about him um probably in a couple minutes actually okay i'm very but, curious i was like did he die? did he go uh-uh. down after all that poor guy he did just not getting taken right out but it's crazy that this and you have those eyewitness accounts people who are saying we heard the captain screaming at everybody to stop stop rocking the vessel yeah. stand still please and trying to plan and coordinate okay don't let any p- more people on let's hope enough people get off and everyone's ignoring him Everyone's ignoring him. Oops, I just burped right into the microphone because I got worked up. But they're like, whatever, man, you're a loser. And fuck your stupid boat that got grounded because of that tin can. This is May 2-4, okay? <laughs> this is a good time. There's no bad bad energy. We don't want to hear it. You're and we just are... being a negative Nancy. Yeah. We are giving these people a hard time because it's just the nature of it. And this sucks. It's horrible that these people yeah, died. Yeah, that's... But the whole situation is just wild when you look at it through all these different lenses. Yeah. And the everybody's perspectives and why it happened. Mm-hmm. Because you got to examine it. Yeah, you do. It's it's just crazy. This story was lost to time. And we're going to bring it back. <laughs> On May 25th, London began to bury the dead. The London Free Press reported people took advantage of the horrible situation. Oh, I've does don't you love when that happens? It's classic. Thieves stole from the bodies. 
Okay, I didn't expect that. So people laid out in rows. There's a artist rendering of it that I'll post. Rows of dead that are waiting to come and be identified and claimed by their loved ones. Thieves were going around and stealing from them, stealing their money, stealing their pocket watches, everything, yeah. rummaging through all of the dead and stealing from them. That is so fucked up. Isn't it? Hackmen were raising their rates. So hackmen are like coachmen. Like you got the, oh, the yep. coach buggy thing. Mm-hmm. So those people were raising their rates because they knew that people needed to get back and forth a lot to go and get shit done. Liver- they so in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Livery men, livery men, were charging $5 for one and a half hours of service, which is astronomical. And livery men are like, basically what I can gather, it's like civil servants kind of, like anyone in a uniform. So you could be like a police officer okay. or some sort of public worker. And these people were like, do you need my help recovering dead or laying out dead or coordinating with family? That's going to cost you $5 an hour. And people were like, $5 an hour? Let's take advantage of these people who already lost maybe their whole family mm-hmm. or... Or the breadwinners of their family. Yeah. Women lost their husbands and the women didn't... <laughs> the women were women in 1881. They did not have anything. They were out there like you, you said, relied on your... Sewing on the river and reading Mark Twain for therapy. It's how it went. Simpler times. Simpler times. Yeah. Definitely. And then there was draymen who were demanding various fees from grieving relatives. So Dray is a low, strong cart without like fixed sides. So it's basically just like an oversized wagon. And you use it to carry heavy loads of stuff. You usually it's like if you were a tr- a truck driver, like a transport truck driver, in 1881. So you were hauling, like, goods and stuff. Makes sense. If that helps explain yeah. it. Yeah. These terms, like, liverymen and hackmen and draymen, and I'm reading these articles and I'm like, I don't fucking know what any of that no, is. No, it's so interesting to hear, like, what's relevant at different times. Yeah, so you had these draymen who were basically truck drivers who were hauling goods from one place to another. And they were demanding ton of ridiculous feed to grieving relatives and then there's some hearse and wagon drivers that if they were retained for whatever reason to deliver a dead body to the family and the family wasn't home or didn't have the money they would just dump the body on the front doorstep or on the lawn leave it there your problem you're not going to pay me for fulfilling my end have fun with your loved one's body just dumped here like trash ruthless isn't that wild yeah these people like you said though you said earlier that a lot of people maybe don't have the same level of like empathy or understanding and people were being a lot more ignorant or vicious Mm -hmm. look how they're behaving would you do this today never i mean people might steal from dead bodies because people are sick but you're not gonna dump someone's body on their doorstep are you kidding no are you kidding imagine it would be that's wild it's crazy picturing the scene where there's already this heinous catastrophe on the river where people are traumatized by what happened and hearing the screams and and trying to process how something so devastating can happen so fast and then it just continues days after weeks after 
it's not over and you have these assholes who are opportunists and taking advantage of grieving vulnerable people. And you're like, can this just end, please? And it was very difficult to find someone in London who was not affected by this tragedy. Yeah, that's so true. There was anyone you talked to. They either had a friend, a neighbor, a family member that died. Family members lost their own children, their spouses. There was someone that knew someone who was gone. A local resident named Amelia Harris wrote in her diary two days after the disaster, quote, The shops have been closed and the city is to wear a badge of mourning for a month. Coffins could not be got in London sufficiently for the dead, and they have been telegraphed for to Toronto, Hamilton, and other places. Funeral processions have not been out of sight from early morning until dark. Just constant day and night funeral processions. And then you have this problem of just bodies piling up because there's no more coffins. And people are waiting, like, I want to bury my dead. Also, it's it's the late 19th century. You have people with certain religious customs and they have to have their dead buried. They have to do that as part of their religion, beliefs, whatever. And you're like, let's pray to God those coffins come from Toronto. Just drawing out that process. Exactly. And how, like, far-reaching it is. Like, you would never think your loved one dying in a disaster like this yeah would prolong in the way that now you don't even know if you'll get a coffin to bury them like it's crazy it's so wild to think about how just far-reaching all this is a hastily formed committee of london citizens met on may 25th so the day after the disaster to plan a suitable memorial people haven't even buried their dead yet and they're like how will we have a memorial for them Fun fact, John Lobat of Lobat Brewing Company fame was present at this meeting. All right, then. That's just something to know, because Lobat beer is a big beer around here. Oh, yeah. And that's from London. The more you know. Yeah. The more you know. (laughs) Dark adaptation. The more you know. The committee initially proposed erecting a stone monument in a city park, but one committee member said, quote, The families of the victims are crying for bread. How ridiculous to offer them a stone. That's a great point. So someone here had some empathy and some heart and was like, Yeah. Guys, this is not realistic or helpful in any real way. Not right now. Some of these children and wives lost the actual breadwinners and women can't work right now. And you want to give them a stone? And they have nothing? So, uh, thankfully, the people in this committee were like, oh, shit, you know what? That committee member brings up a good point. And I want to say this committee member was a woman. I don't know. I just do want to say that. It feels like a woman thing to say. And so this plan was quashed. They're like, you know what? I guess fuck the stone, right? Because good point. And many families, like I said, had lost their breadwinners in the disaster. And they had no money or means of making an income. So, like, yeah, amen. No one wants your fucking stupid stone. It's just like when something terrible happens and people are like tweeting like, oh, my thoughts and prayers. And you're like, like, cool, but that does not help me out. Thank you. But I'm still fucked. (laughs) That's how physically helpful that is. Yeah, it doesn't. 
so easy to just erect a stone and say, look what we did for you. So easy to hit tweet and it's just prayer hands emojis. Yeah. Public outcry soon followed the funerals and the memorials. People were horrified by this accident at how unsafe the Victoria turned out to be. And they were scared to use other steamboats like the Forest City, which was quickly condemned. I can't imagine if you survived how you would feel after even just like looking at a steamboat. Yeah, you'd be like, you know what? Fuck that thing because it imploded. I don't trust that. On itself. Like it would be a nightmare. Ah. Uh. The Forest City was quickly condemned. She was laid up at the dock in Byron and basically just left to rot before being totally damaged during the flood of 1883 when she was cast into the river. Because the Thames River is a wild place, man. I I guess so. I had no idea what was going on over there in London, guys. How have you been making it through? <laughs> I put a little, a couple of things here about how wild the Thames River is, okay? So on either July 11th or July 12th of 1883, I've seen it reported both ways, the first of the two worst floods in London's history swept the Princess Louise over Waterworks Dam, breaking her to pieces and killing seven people. Oh, my God. So that's wild. The terrain there is not very friendly. And it, this is during the first of the horrible ones. So I think it was during the second horrible flood of 1883. Um, nope, just the first of the two worst floods in London. 1883 is the first of the two worst floods in London's history. And that swept Princess Louise over the dam, breaking her into pieces, killing seven people. So it was during that same flood that Forest City, which had been docked because it was condemned, was also swept away and just ruined. They were like, this thing that you guys had going? Steamboats aren't out. They're out. This and is no more. there's a more. final destination type of vendetta against these and Actually, they're taking them out. Mm. Uh, on August sounds. 25th, 1899, the propeller boat Thames was set on fire and eventually sunk only feet from Waterworks Dam. I don't know if this is one of those intentional type burning things where they just hope to burn it and it just goes away. Or if some, it was like a, uh, yeah, what's the word, arson type thing. Oh, yeah. I really don't know, but I mean, that boat burnt to shit. Again, at Waterworks Dam. I find that whenever there's fires back in the day, it's just always mysterious fires. And you know they're not like electrical fires or... Some guy with his pipe just blowing out the (laughs) (laughs) the big burning ash ball into the vessel. Yeah, that's, that's probably it. I guess they also had a lot of candles going and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. You would think along the shoreline trying to identify oh, the dead. Oh, yeah. They must have just been burning places down all the time. They're just praying for electricity and railways. On April 27, 1937, the Thames River reached an all-time high, resulting in five deaths and over 1,000 homes being damaged. And the river was 21.5 feet above normal flow. That is 6.6 meters. 21 and a half feet above normal levels. That's so twice, over twice is like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. so much doubled. bigger than it would. Yeah. Basically doubled because that's crazy. In its deepest parts, it was 12 feet. And that's not the average. The average, yeah. um, depth of the Thames is five feet 
it's not deep at all. It's very like Grand River-esque. Yeah, it is. It's That's what I was thinking. It's very much Grand River because you will find those very deep pockets, but they're rarer. Like you can easily wade out into the majority of the Grand River to your waist, maybe. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? 21? You know, you're really not supposed to though because they say Grand River's vicious. Mm-hmm. It's like shallow but it's deceiving the hat it'll get you and you can get swept away and like those things have happened exactly and it's like that's what this kind of reminds me of it's like just oh it's just a river here let's just we'll just swim ashore it's you gotta be careful it's just because it's not deep or like super dyson was a lifeguard dyson how many inches of water can you drown in two two inches of water two inches of water I believe Dyson was a lifeguard. Did you have to save anyone? Uh, once. Once. I don't. I think people can hear that. One time, I was a hero. You're welcome. <laughs> One time only, and that's it. That's all he's got. On August thirteenth, nineteen fifty, a launch capsized and killed four passengers in the Thames River. And on August fourteenth, two thousand. The Thames River was designated a Canadian Heritage River. I threw that in there, obviously, to be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Thames River is wildin'. Yeah, you gotta be careful. You can't just go frolicking around. (laughs) Don't frolic around in the Thames. Okay, I was wondering why my back is on fire, and it's because of this laptop charger. Makes sense. Like, damn, it's hot in here. It's so disgusting. We're almost done, though feel that that's what has been microwaving my body not asking how many times did you not save people dyson several, several. he let uh, several people drown so several. putting it on record here this is a confession <laughs> enough of you on june 1st coroner dr j flock assembled a jury and a proper inquiry on the disaster went underway the coroner's jury declared captain rankin and the victorious engineer, a man named George Parrish, responsible for the wreck. They believed George Parrish was partially responsible since he passed the vessel as suitable for sailing at the beginning of the 1881 season. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can't really. They're like, bro, yeah. you checked the shit out and you said that we were good to go. The jury was convinced that the boiler had been improperly fastened to the deck and that the frame supporting the upper deck and the hurricane roof were too slender. They're they're made of pine and they were not properly braced. Mm -hmm. And this was just waiting for a collapse. George Parrish was found to be guilty of neglecting to inform Captain Rankin of the vessel's poor condition. And Captain Rankin was also blamed for failing to inspect the vessel before departing that day. Oh, come on, Captain Rankin, what are you doing? So both Rankin and Parrish were arrested on manslaughter charges upon leaving the courtroom that day, but they were soon released on $3,000 bail each. So you know, I, I can't help but feel for the captain. Me either! I honestly, like, I <laughs> I just can't help but feel it was sword of his hands, and he You're, was doing you, his best. You, and, one man against over 600 yeah. people who won't fucking listen to you. Uh, that's and you're sad. saying... We're really full. Don't get on here. And what are you supposed to wrestle all these people off? Oh, it's you against them. It's crazy. So they were released on three thousand dollar bail each, which today is like about ninety thousand. But oh wow, I think you only have to pay a portion of that, ten percent or something. 
Okay, I never understood that when you hear about those, like, huge bailouts. And you're like... I think it is 10% because I've heard that if people are allowed to be released on a million dollar bail, then they have to pay 100000 Okay, that makes so sense. I'm pretty sure you have to pay 10%. I just... I don't understand. The Do you case- have to pay the rest after? Um, like, you're indebted to the rest? Maybe if they, like run away or something how does that work um Tyson can you please reach out to Doc the bounty hunter and tell him that we need him for bail bonds clarification dear dog dear dog <laughs> dear doggery <laughs> we have some major questions for you dog dog sorry I said dog d-o-g and then I saw in my head d-a-w-g <laughs> so Yes, Captain Rankin and George Parrish are, they're arrested on the manslaughter charges. They get out on bail and the case goes before the Middlesex Grand Jury at the Fall Assizes, which opened in London on September 10th, 1881. Uh, I had to Google what the fuck a Fall Assizes was. Yeah. And it's a, it's basically taken from the British, much like London is and Thames River is. And it is a court which formally sits at intervals. So you got the fall, spring, summer, oh, winter okay. sizes. It's basically just when you get everyone that's needed in a room four times a year and you bang out whatever's pending. That's the gist. Does that make sense? That makes sense. On November 22nd, the jury handed down its verdict and they were refusing to indict. Um, Captain Rankin or George Parrish. So they were both freed. I think that that's fair. There's a really good quote from Kenneth McTaggart, the one that wrote the book. And he said, quote, the captain blamed the people. The people blamed the owners of the ship and the company line. Everybody blamed everybody else without realizing they all caused it. End quote. And like, I think that's a good quote. That is good. Yeah. It's also such a tough one, too, because if you're a family on this boat, you, yeah. of course, don't want to accept responsibility for maybe causing an accident that killed the rest of your family. Of course. Like, I can't imagine. You already feel an indescribable way. Oh, yeah. And then you have that guilt that I'm sure you already, like, survivor's guilt already. Absolutely. And which then, is so real. Yeah. And then people you know kind of accusing you as well and calling out things that happened and bringing you know it's probably just the worst feeling especially if you were you know that there were some people in the mix there that had a bad feeling and were kind of like scared yeah and we're probably like I don't like this but my family's here what am I gonna jump off the boat like, yeah, you kind of wish I did, but, like, I don't want to leave them. Yeah. Or I don't want to be overdramatic. Like, what if nothing happened and mm-hmm. you were the freak that jumped off the boat? Yeah. So they're like, oh. It's so Or women tough. in their Victorian dresses. Yep. What are they going to do? They didn't do? have a choice. They were like, okay, I'm going gonna... to die if okay. I jump off, so I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to Google how much a Victorian dress weighs. They had, like, those big underskirts, yeah, usually right? Yeah, they... And sometimes they had metal hoops, and they would have had all of that, um... What's the what's the material called? Um, sh- chiffon, I think that makes it all poofy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. 
Okay, I'm trying to type in how much does a Victorian dress weigh, and it says how much does a vice principal make? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Probably nothing. How much does a Victorian dress weigh? Six pounds on average. And then imagine that waterlogged. And they heavy. can't, like a lot of them can't swim like you mentioned. Yeah, right? no. So back in the day, it wasn't common that people just took like swimming lessons or something. Like the yeah. average Joe citizen who would have been on this ferry, no idea. They can't swim. There's no reason for them to know how to swim. And they're just stuck frantically trying to not drown. The disaster made Londoners extremely reluctant to support the riverboat system in London. Vessels continued to run until the turn of the century, but there was a decline in popularity and the trust of the riverboat services in London through the remainder of the decade just weren't there. Understandable. By the turn of the 20th century, ferries became obsolete, and the London Street Railway expanded its streetcar services to Byron in 1895, so people were like, I'm definitely going on that streetcar. Fuck your riverboat. The wreckage of the Victoria was further destroyed during salvage efforts for human remains, as we know. They tried to blow that shit up. And wooden portions of the vessel broke apart and just kind of rotted away. Like, they never did a real cleanup on it. They were just like, let it sit. And for years, the huge steel-plated boiler, which is the thing that crashed through the Victoria Hall and dismantled the decks and burned people with boiling water, that thing just rested on the riverbed and sat there. And people who were like, wanted to swim in the river and shit, they would just like climb up on it and use it as like a diving off point. They would just be like, let's stand on the boiler and let's dive go off to into the, the old river. boiler, guys. Isn't that wild? For years, this thing just sat there. <laughs> I don't even know how long, but it was there forever. Months after the disaster, money was raised by the parents who lost children in the disaster and used the money that was raised to erect a small brick building on the grounds of the Protestant Orphans Home in North London. And for years, this cottage that the small building basically just became like this little cottage and it was used by the orphanage as an infirmary. And then it was later used as a little schoolhouse. And there was a stone above the front door that just said, in memoriam, May 1881. And that cottage was there for so long, but it's not there anymore. It was raised and I have no idea when that was. Oh, but it's just cute little cottage. That's cute. They wanted to go on providing a place for other children. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. And it seems to have been there for a long time. It's just maybe just kind of got decrepit or something and maybe yeah. there wasn't a reason for it. So they got rid of it, but it was there for a while. And then one of the few reminders of the disaster is a blue Ontario heritage plaque, which sits with the anchor of the Victoria. Oh, wow. On the south side of the river at the site of the sinking along the Terry Fox Parkway. So. If you're in London, Terry Fox Parkway, you will find that Ontario Heritage plaque. It's just got a little, basically kind of like a write-up, very brief synopsis of what happened. Yeah. The surrounding area where the vessel sank um, in 1881 is today west, the West London suburb of Kensal Park, 
which has the Greenway Off-Leash Dog Park. And there's like a Greenway Wastewater Treatment Center. So really uh, widely used area. The total death toll that fateful day was between 181 and 198 people. We really don't know because all we know for sure on record is that there was 181 people that were, were recovered from the water. But like I said, there was people who were taken to hospitals or taken for medical help and not all of them made it. So it's believed that it's pushing 200 people that actually did yeah. die. And yeah, this is only an estimation because, again, no passenger count was ever taken. So it could be roughly one third <laughs> of this mm-hmm. boat's population died. Exactly. Which mm-hmm. is crazy. And the fact that it happened so fast. And yeah. that's how many people it took out immediately. Plus, it was dangerously overcrowded with about 600 passengers. So that would be so hard to track. Like, you don't know exactly how many people were on there. Uh, London historian Dan Brock says the disaster claimed 200 lives by his count, and he has, quote, concrete evidence of the deaths of 198 people who were on the Victoria. So that's usually the common number that's given. 198 uh, people died as a result of the disaster. Wow. Did they have, like, unidentified people or people that were never found? Or It sounds like she, it. Yeah. It sounds like there's people who just have no idea. Like, especially with how chaotic this dam sounds. Like, it sounds like maybe some people kind of just maybe met a little bit of a draft and just were swept away. That could be... Or people who were just blown to pieces, maybe, when they were like, what a good idea, let's blow this shit up. Maybe people were blown to pieces and they never were recovered. Like, it was so chaotic. That's such a good so point. chaotic. Yeah. Most of the victims of the disaster are buried in Mount Pleasant Cemetery or Woodland Cemetery, which, ironically, Woodland Cemetery is the last port that the Victoria stopped at before this whole thing happened. That's sad. And a lot of them were buried there. So, I mean, that's the Victoria Day disaster, also known as the Victoria Steamboat Disaster. That's a tragedy. Right? Something that I feel like just, like, would never... Have you ever heard of this? No. Did I wonder if this happening made, like, for stricter rules and, like, I don't know. I think because it was so in the forefront of so many people, everyday citizens, actual employees, everyone, that the railway was going to make it big. I think that it didn't so much as enforce stronger code as it did to just deteriorate what wasn't was obviously not working anymore and to invest more in streetcars and rail yeah. uh, rail travel. I think that it just further sort of bolstered why it's obsolete to use a steamboat and a ferry in certain situations. Yeah, especially in a river where you don't... Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, you don't need this. Sometimes this river is two feet deep. Sometimes this river is 12 feet deep. It's really not a long journey. No, it's like, can you kilometers. imagine them sending ferries down the Grand River? I mean, there is that, like, dinner boat cruise that goes down the Grand. Yeah. But, no, not as, like, an everyday thing. No, that would be weird. You'd be like... A huge 80-foot-long... 
Like, oh my God. I mean, they couldn't get it down those turns, I'm sure. Because the Grand is such a winding mm-hmm. river. But even but... in that photo I showed you, like, the Thames is pretty winding, too. I know. I was thinking that. So, it's, it's just wild. Yeah. This whole situation is so wild. And the fact that at the time it happened, it was one of the worst disasters, maritime disasters in Canada. And made its way to all regions of the world with how awful this was but just because of how chaotic and quick and weird everything unfolded and how i'd never heard of it and i was telling you about how the only reason i know about this disaster is from our very early episodes when i was doing the forest city series mm-hmm. and learning about the different serial killers and stuff that have been in london ontario and just among my research, researching different parts, I found this. And it's just kind of one of those cases that I always kept in the back of my mind. Like, that would be so interesting to cover one day. And I don't know. I knew that you'd be in town, and I just felt like, this is it. Let's do this. It was a good one. So I hope you The history it. ones are so cool. I love history. It's fun, like, looking at things through. Just, you know, like a broad lens and... And applying astrology to more than just, yeah. like, someone's birth chart. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so cool to see how astrology can be applied to a day. Yeah. And to a situation. A and situation to as well. How, yeah, it speaks to, like, the different people involved in this. And how you're Super. looking at that chart and you're saying, mm. oh, I can see a power struggle. I can see some stubbornness and whatever. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I'll just you wait. Because I will never tell you, like, certain details and deep dive into it. I'm like, maybe you're on something or maybe you're not. And you'll see. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Oh, my God. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, do you have any final thoughts about it? Anything else you wanted to add about this fuckery? I just, oh, there's, uh, <laughs> bad things can happen. <laughs> when listen to the captain maybe yeah you gotta be thinking ahead you know think about it's not all about you yeah that's just it's so unfortunate because it was preventable Mm -hmm. and i i totally understand the moment people were like i don't want to wait here what if i like i gotta get back to work tomorrow i gotta do shit i can't wait here for a ferry like people were just so why is only the victoria rolling up i don't want to miss my chance what if something happens to the other ones like oh i'm concerned and you can understand how people felt not thinking that something bad was going to happen but you just think about in the moment that kind of like hive mentality that takes over and right thank you the hive mentality that is the phrase i have been fucking searching for this whole time like oh getting all excited about these racing guys and (laughs) people on the shore and God damn it's it, like, London Rowing Club, which is still there to this day, by the way. Even if they were trying to be contained, everyone was getting swept away in each other. Yeah. And like, it was so crazy. And then it just happened. The snowball. Yeah. And I just can't imagine how that would feel after. And just like. And imagine you were some of those few people who were thinking, oh, I don't like the rocking. Oh, that water looks deep. I think we should listen to the captain, guys. And it seems to only have been a couple people. And then this happens. Yeah. The whole time you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Or people who did abort. They got off that ship. They disembarked and they were on the shore probably. Like, holy fuck. Knew that was going to happen. Like, I'm so glad I got off. 
it's yeah, just a crazy tale. A little piece of Ontario Canadian history there. Yeah. And another maritime disaster. I feel like, honestly, this podcast always has this, like, we always joke in a little nautical under theme. <laughs> We're always bringing it back. Yeah. To the OG day of water. And, oh, actually, before we end, just one quick thing. You were on our episode 13, Tom and Arlene Lonergan episode. Yes. And you were talking about that really strong Neptune influence in their deaths, which were drowning deaths. Mm -hmm. And how in this one there was that creepy Neptune influence. And I just thought that was so wild because there's so many drowning deaths in this one. Yeah. And like that there's a theme with Neptune, you know, in the more negative side of situations where... There's like a piece of information or something very factual and logical and tangible that is not being seen mm-hmm. and it's being replaced with like a magical fog. thinking yeah. or yeah, brain fog, like just to- even pure fog. delusion, like sometimes just making shit up, mm-hmm. like just wild thinking and placating yourself almost. Yeah, and like the lying aspect as well and the hiding and the secrecy part of Neptune I think is interesting with the just the way that the like the condition the steamboat was in and the fact that that is wild eh? mm-hmm. that is a refurbished piece of shit yes. basically and that people not you know the accusations of or accusations of this wasn't inspected properly and you didn't do this you didn't do that and like like you read that quote about how it wasn't just one this person thing. blamed that it was and this person blamed them but it was everyone mm-hmm. this wasn't a stable boat to begin with not at all and then we had all of these people on the boat that was just made that condition even worse mm-hmm. and then you had them all acting foolish so foolish and it just ridiculous a bunch of like hyperactive children on their black licorice candy mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like oh it was such a bad situation and if if people just slowed down, took a breath and, and listened. Yeah. And really thought about it. Cause you know, like, I don't know. I feel like we do live in a little bit of more of an aware time where like we kind of, we're, we're so tuned into the media. People are dying every day. Mm-hmm. There's disasters every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're so aware of that. And I feel like this kind of thing just wouldn't, you would hope would not happen in this extent where like, 200 people are just being taken out by this catastrophic thing. Yeah, you hope, but yeah, I but... mean, it's not impossible. Wasn't there, like, that Greek boat or something? The Greek tourist boat or some shit that, like, yeah. totally capsized right on shore? Not yeah, that long something ago, did like happen like that, ago? and it was totally... Yeah, didn't it didn't happen recently? Like, a few years Maybe. ago, Maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, I'm gonna have to look into that one, too. And the other one you said was the Flo- Florida Everglades crash or something? Yeah, the plane crash. I want to look into mm-hmm. all of these things. Yeah, look into that. I think I watched something on Netflix about it. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch anything about this because it's been forgotten by history, but here I am bringing it up. And yeah, that's it. Victoria Day Disaster, also known as the Victoria Steamboat Disaster. I really hope everyone enjoyed it. More of the dark history side instead of the true crime side or the haunted places side. But like you said, you like dark history. I love dark oh, yeah. history. And there's, like, throughout this episode, I've mentioned, like, oh, we'll have this photo on Instagram or whatever. So make sure you go and check that out. Dark Adaptation Podcast. And there's a few sources for this episode, which is available on our website, which is darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And while you're there, you can look at our merch. we got that beautiful embroidered patch. We have a section where you can support us with a little bit of a coffee, you know. 
And uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for being here, Steph. It's so fun to have you. I love it. Yeah, it's so good. It's so nice to be back recording in person. It's, yes, just, in person. Yeah. It's, the, to vibe off of it is so yeah. important. And uh, everyone else out there, we'll catch you on the dark side.